so much for the time that we have together. I ask you, Lord, that as we go over church doctrine, pray that you'd help us to understand it fully. God, I know that sometimes it's easy to misunderstand what the church has been for, but Lord, I pray that tonight, today we have an understanding fully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're talking about the church. We talked about last week about your pastor. Some of those things about your pastors. Uh, who is the chief shepherd? Who? Christ is the chief shepherd. We also know that according to Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and 28 through 31, how will your pastor protect you? Where's your book at? How is your pastor going to protect you? Yes. Guiding you? What's another way? You know? Anything? What's that? Overseeing. Overseeing. Praying for you, right? That's how he's going to protect you. He's going to try to find uh, the best way possible to uh, pray and ask the Lord for things. That's why it's important to listen to him, first of all. But secondly, as a Christian, you need to make sure that you're allowing him to know what needs to be prayed for in your life. And that's, a, that's an important part. So, there's some things. We know the second. What was the second officer that we have in the church? Uh, so, bishops and deacons. Right, bishops and deacons. So, basically, that understanding that the church has two, two different officers, the, the pastors and deacons. Now, this week, uh, we're going to talk about how the church makes decisions. And it says here... Where it says the church makes decisions, it says a true New Testament Baptist church never makes laws; it simply follows its Lord's commands as set forth in His Word. Um, the example given: our Constitution, American Constitution, is the highest law of the land. Okay, uh, when you have the highest law in the land, that means that we always refer back to the Constitution. Now, nowadays there are some judges who believe that they can. Interpret the Constitution. It's a living Constitution, meaning that uh, we don't want to have to believe in the original uh, content or intent of the writers of the Constitution. Well, it's the same way with the Bible. Uh, we don't have we have a Bible that is basically the same thing. What was the original intent of what the Lord wanted us to do? Not what we think, but what the Lord wants us to think. And so, basically, we don't make any laws in the church. We just follow what the Bible already teaches. And sometimes those include um, some practical uh, laws that need to be made. Uh, example given, our church is in the process of reorganizing and reconstituting uh, what our church is. That being said, our Christian uh, faith should be centered around the Bible, whatever the Bible teaches. Uh, and so that example given is, uh, is it good for a, uh, for a pastor to have multiple wives? No. So we would probably write in there he has to be the what? Husband of one wife. That would be a qualification of a pastor. In the same sense with what would be required of a member. What does a member be required? Well, if you're going to support this church, you're going to support it not just physically. You're going to support it financially. You're going to support it and mentally, physically, prayerfully. Yes, you're going to basically be, there's some responsibilities in the church. And so those are the things that a church covenant would entail. But he says, in a practical sense, however, a church often needs to make decisions in keeping with this principle. Unlike the hierarchical systems, 
many religious bodies, Bible-believing Baptist churches practice what is known as congregational form of church government, where the congregation under pastoral leadership decides how to implement God's will. All right, now I'm going to give this as an open forum. What is another form of government that we see in churches today? As he mentioned, hierarchical. Can you give me an example? Catholic. Catholic? Okay. What do they have? They have Pope, and then cardinals, also cardinals right? Archbishops, archbishops, and then bishops. bishops, and then your priests, right? There are a form of a hierarchical system. The problem with that is, is that we believe that God gives every man the same understanding, right? And so the church should get together. They should be the ones that decide what the Lord wants them to do as a body, not just one person, okay? That's kind of the same way that our system in, 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 in our country is set up. The idea there that God has given us a country that is based on not a hierarchical or a, king, uh, a monarch, but instead it's based upon the idea that God is, uh, uh, that we have many people who are involved, the entire country. Even though we have a representative, it's not a true uh, democracy in our country, it's a representative government. Uh, our country, our, our churches should be a complete democracy. It's not a dictatorship. <clears throat> it's not just the pastor who makes decisions. It's the church. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 6. Pastor, may I borrow Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, Oh, great. No, no, no. Sure. Yeah. I got plenty of them, so. Okay. So we're in, we're in uh, the church makes decisions. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Acts chapter 6. Are you there? Did I leave my Bible at home? Not my Bible. You need to get upstairs. All right. Why don't you girls go grab that for me? I'm going to pull it. All right. I'll just use my iPad for right now. Acts chapter 6. Verse 1 through 5. It says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Hi, Sister Lynette. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of holy ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. Hi, um, Brother Rolando. Uh, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer, thank you, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, Procorius, and Nicanor, uh, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of the Antioch, whom they had set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid their hands on them. So we find here, who chose the seven deacons? The church did. Now, I'll go even a step further. If the church got to the point where we needed a secondary pastor, who would choose that? It would be the church, right? Now, again, we would, the pastor would look, and he would find someone that's presentable to bring before the church. But the church eventually would have to decide to vote on that. And it goes for the deacons as well. This idea that the church, that the pastor is the one that brings people on on staff, 
No, it's the church's decision. It's not my decision, it's the church's. Just like you would vote me to bring me on, uh, same sense, we need to have that same opportunity. Yes? Uh, but as the leader, isn't God going to hold you responsible for that ultimate decision? Again, I told you that I would bring someone that's presentable to the church. Oh, got it. I wouldn't bring someone that I didn't think Right. Of. So ultimately, and this is just an example of what happened in that whole snafu with yes. the Ashburn. And I thought, Pastor Rice was the one who right. brought them in. You know what I mean? Right. He was there for a whole year. So it's like, well, ultimately I'm just thinking somebody did his, like maybe he was widow father slow. You know what I'm I, I can't speak to whatever went on with that church, but I know of churches that have hired pastors underneath that pastor, but the pastor never brought it before the church. Now, I, I don't think it's important. I think it's important to say that your church, everything rises and falls upon leadership. So your leadership is a reflection of your church, right? So if I were here and I was liberal and I was... Uh, basically, you know, I didn't believe uh, what I believe as far as what the Bible teaches, and I was in some heresy and things of that nature. You have responsibility to vote me out. I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? Right. Nobody likes confrontation, but at the same time, the church is the leadership reflects the church. So, right. an example given in that situation, that man that was brought on, the church had a responsibility to say, "This guy's not right." In the Right, but I mean, the leadership was the one that brought the candidate. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. It goes back to the leadership. It does. Everything does rise and fall. So that's right. when I, I was having a conversation with somebody about the whole thing and how they were so upset. And I'm like, did you ever have a conversation with the leadership? Right. They're the ones that brought it on. You're, you know? Yeah. It's like, you got to go back to the source. There it's is. to blame and be angry, but right. go back. And, I, and I'm not saying that leadership. Leadership has a responsibility in the role. I'm not saying that at all. And maybe I misconstrued what I was saying, but my idea there is is the church needs is, is the last last ditch effort. Yes, yes. You know, I, I if I were to bring an assistant pastor on, I would want to make sure an example, uh, Zach Zach Zidarski would love to come back and work with us in the church. Now we we can't afford to pay him, but at some point if he felt led of the Lord and and the church was at a good uh, financial situation, we could bring him on as an assistant or an intern or something of that nature. I would have to know where he's doctrinally at, just like a missionary. I have a questionnaire that I ask every missionary, where are you at? This, this, this. And I really want to know where they're at. Because if I bring them before the church and they're beginning that leadership, we know specifically in this church, a few of you do anyway, we had um, a guy that came in that was an evangelist that was not what he should be. And we, real, we didn't realize that until a little bit later. There were some things that were doctrinally different. We had to make some decisions regarding that. And so uh, we failed in that. And uh, I, I wasn't really leadership per se. But at that point in time, in that juncture, we had to make some decisions. So I, I, I want to go too long into that. Did I answer your question, Sister? Okay. Uh, if you do have questions, feel free to ask them. I, I do want people to understand what we're talking about here. So we found that the church chose the seven deacons. And going back to Sister Kim's uh, point here, you see here it says in here in verse uh, verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Who were they telling to go find? Who was going to find them? 
these deacons? Okay, and he says, wherefore who, in verse 3? Wherefore who? Brethren. Brethren. Okay, so it was the church that they were asking to find it. And so the example given, when the church gets to a size that we can have deacons in the church, what we would do is we would eventually say, okay, uh, you guys nominate a deacon. And then we would vote on it, right? The church would nominate, I like... Well, let's just say, uh, I like Brother Rolando. Boy, he's got some good qualities. And so someone would nominate Brother Rolando. Uh, again, he has to have the qualifications that go with that. But the bottom line comes down to, as a church, you would find that deacon. And then we find here that, as going back to what Sister Kim said, um, in verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. There was a sense that the leadership or the apostles of the church were approving of these people. Right? It says, and when they had prayed, they had laid their hands on them. There was an ordination of the deacons of the church by the leadership of the church. So not only do you have the voting of the people of the church, but also then there's also the leadership of the church that are blessing this situation. So there is a, a democracy involved, but it also includes back to the leadership to make good decisions as well. All right. Acts chapter uh, 1, verses 15 through 26. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. What preceded the vote? Let me write these down. So first of all, who chose the seven deacons? We know that to be the church. All right. Secondly, what preceded the vote of the whole church in electing a successor to Judas? Yes. Do you want to, you want to read? Do you want to read? You want to read? Okay. Uh, so Acts chapter 15. Uh, let's take, uh, Carlos, read 15 and 16 for me. What chapter? Acts chapter 1. Okay, so basically, uh, this idea of Judas. And so we find in verse 17, for he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst of all his bowels, gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called to their proper tongue, El Sadama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, bishopric let another take. 
Wherefore, these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barsabas, who is surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And then they may have made part of this ministry and apostleship, which was Judas by transgression fell, and he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, so we're going back to this question. What preceded the vote of the whole church in electing successor to Judas? Starts with a P. Prayer. Yes. Prayer. Um, it, and that's important, right? Going back to this, what your, that real-life example, really, this should be given over to prayer. The church needs to pray about it. Uh, if we don't have prayer in the situation, we won't have God's mind on it. If we don't have God's mind on it, we're going to definitely make a huge mistake. And there's been many churches that have done that, down for the years. There are churches right now that are defunct because a pastor took over and he was the wrong wrong person. He spoke heresy. Uh, I can think of two churches, huge churches. There's one in Detroit now. It's no longer a, uh, a vibrant uh, gospel preaching church. It's a church that's basically gone away from the truth. And all because they put the wrong preacher in there. And he eventually uh, went away from it. I, I have to say that it's interesting. This is, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, knowest the hearts of all men. Show whether these two thou hast chosen. I'll be honest with you. I don't think the church... I mean, besides my father bringing us in, I don't know if the church really sat down and prayed for it. <laughs> yes? Well, I mean, I think ideally, if the people in the church are spirit-filled, in between the pastor and the deacons and the church, the Holy Spirit would say, this is not the guy, right? So if the church truly had been praying and guided by the Spirit, they wouldn't let somebody in there that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it kind of falls back also in their lap because the church is not what they should be. Right. Uh, it goes back to the leadership again. <laughs> if your leadership is not teaching people correctly, it doesn't matter who you bring in. You could bring anybody in. Um, the, men, the men are worshiping a leader instead of worshiping God. And so then you get into the point where man worship becomes, and it doesn't matter who you bring in. But I do believe... I, I honestly pray that our church will be a biblically-based church. It's not based on what my abilities are or what somebody else's abilities are, but instead what God wants us as a church to be. Um, example of that, my brother-in-law just took over a church at Hinkley Ridge Baptist Church in, um, is it Hinkley Ridge, Ohio? Yeah. So anyway, it's a small, it was a small church, but they lost their pastor, and they were gone for a full year and a half. And the interesting thing is, is that church ran efficiently the entire time that pastor was gone. Why? Uh, I think he retired or he, he moved away or stepped out. Something wasn't anything of sin, just he was done pastoring there. Um, and so basically that whole time, the, the people of the church rose up and they did what they were supposed to be done. That's the way a church should be. When a church falls apart after its leader goes away... It might be a sign the church has some struggles. Now, again, you will have people that are fringe, that are basically still baby Christians that might fall away because they were listening to a preacher or something of that nature. But the mainstay of the church should be together. They should be rising up and, and starting. An example, Brother Glenn, right? What did he do once? Did you guys have a pastor for, what, two years? It was a, it was a long time. 
and there was basically just Glenn's family, Diane, us, and maybe one or two other families on like Sunday mornings. Right. And he just kept right. going and let them preach and teach. And be faithful to what God's given you to do. And the sad thing is, there's many churches that are dying on the vine because of this very reason. People are not really taking their church as an important thing. I don't know how I got started on this, but I did. All right, so prayer. Letter C. According to Matthew 18, 17, what is the highest decision-making body in spiritual affairs? Now, I think you guys can guess this, but we'll read Matthew 18, verse 17. All right, it says, If ye shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the, the church. The church. What is this? Does anybody know what this Bible is in reference to? Well, if there was misconduct, then the person doesn't want to listen the first time. Right. Spirit, it'd be church discipline, right? So if they, if you go to someone, they don't listen, go sit down with someone. Go sit down. If they don't listen, basically, then you bring it to a, another person. And then if they don't eventually repent at that point, then you bring it before the church, the whole matter before the church. Uh, it says, let them be as a heathen man and a Republican if they don't neglect to hear the church. And then the last one, according to Matthew 18, the decisions of a church congregations are ratified in... Ooh, this is easy. It starts with an H. Let's read verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever shall be bound on earth shall be what? Bound in heaven. Whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Alright, there's a reflection there. Anytime you go and do God's will, you make a decision... It's bound in heaven if it's bound here on the earth. And if it's loose here on the earth, it's loose in heaven. God's with the church on its decisions. All right. Moving forward. All right. This is a very, very strange uh, site today. Why is our church an independent church? Or why is it an independent institution? Um, really, I do believe that if you look through the New Testament, you'll find evidence of this, and we'll go into this, of what a church should be. It should be an independent church. Um, we are independent Baptists. When I say independent Baptist, what do I mean? I mean that we are not under a hierarchy. When my parents were uh, going to the Southern Baptist Church, they were under the authority of what convention? Anybody know? Southern Baptist Convention. There was a man that was in charge of that Southern Baptist Convention, and he would make decisions that would affect the uh, convention, the Southern Baptist Convention. Do we have that in independent Baptist churches? No. Now, I will clarify something here. There are some churches that we associate with. Um, I went to Fairhaven Baptist College. Do they affect my decision-making as a pastor of this church? No. And the, the proof of that is, is just recently there was some struggles that was happening in the church. I was not going to be a part of that because I did not believe what was doing scriptural. I was ready to walk away. Because, again, I would not fellowship with them. They don't make decisions based on me, and I don't make decisions based on them. But the same sense as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't become part of a camp. Okay? We are independent. We should follow the scripture independently. It says in Acts 15, men from the church at Antioch came to the church at Jerusalem to address a matter of extreme doctrinal importance. After they determined the teaching of God's word on the matter, 
the issue was resolved. Even then, the church at Jerusalem had no authority over the church at Antioch. Their sentence was that we trouble not them. They simply wrote a letter, letter making a re request for deference. This is a far cry from the hierarchical religious system devised by man, where the various congregations within a denomination are controlled and dictated to by higher authorities. There are two that I can think of off the top of my head. The Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, all had at one time preached gospel messages. They were very much fundamental in nature, but because of the hierarchical head being corrupted, guess what else will happen to the rest of the churches? They become corrupted as well. So it's best, instead of having one head corrupting a whole bunch of churches, having multiple heads, as pastors I should say, that if one goes bad, then that's just that little church is the one that, or that church is the one that goes bad, not the entire church. So we find here, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, and verse uh, 15. Acts chapter 15, and verse 15. We find here in verse 18, it says, No, uh, let me in the right place. All right. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which are among the Gentiles are turned to God. So, uh, in verse 18. So, basically, the idea is that they did not want to trouble the other churches um, with this situation. Now, I can't remember exactly off the top of the head what it was. Uh, that's the, uh, what's that? Circumcision. Yes, yeah, circumcision. Uh, so, basically, the idea there is that they didn't want just to say, well, because this church is doing it, we're doing it. They said, no, we're not going to be a part of that. We're not going to trouble them about it. But at the same time, they reminded them, hey, this is the truth. And I think that's important to know. You, you have a responsibility to your friends and your neighbors to tell them the truth. And it's the same way with the church. Church, in letter B, churches are to be separate from governments. It says here, the word of God teaches a complete division between spiritual and and secular authority. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 21. The last part of it. Therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. Okay? Christians are to be law-abiding citizens. Alright? So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a law-abiding citizen? I, I preached on this not too long ago, the law of man, the law of God. Example given. Should I pay my taxes? Yes. Uh, even Jesus paid his taxes, right? The Bible says there was a fish and it came along and he found that money for the taxes out of the fish's mouth, right? And took care of it. The Bible says very clearly, he says, what is this money that's on this, this, this uh, money? Whose head is on this money? It's Caesar's. He says, offer unto Caesar the things of Caesar's render to God the things that are God's. And we find the reason for governments in Romans chapter 12, but in Romans chapter 13, we find verses 1 through 7, the reason we are to be law-abiding citizens. The Bible says in verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God. Oh, wait a minute. Did you just read that? What did that say? Who is the minister of God? Who is it? The government. The king at that time. But here today, it's the president. It's the senator, right? He's a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, or custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Alright? So it doesn't matter who's in authority, what does it say? We need to honor them. Now, we'll go a step further. Uh, and you'll get into this in a second. We need to obey the law of God as well as the law of man. When the law of God and the law of man are the same, we have no problem, do we? Can you give me an example with the law of God and the law of man separated? Okay, it's one of them. Anything else? Um, not illegal in our land, but soon, like in Canada, passed the law telling people that if you're homosexual, that it was a sin, that this is now hate crime. Okay. So it would restrict your speech. Right. On uh, biblical speech. All right. We still have free speech in this country. But this is an example. Right. When they do this, we would not be able to obey that law. Right. Uh, example given. And I, we never close the church doors. Why? Because the Bible tells us to assemble together. Right. Not to forsake the assembly ourselves. There are some reasons that you cannot obey because the Bible says, "Let God be true and every man a liar." You must obey God first. There is no blessing in disobeying God to obey the government. And he goes on to say, he says, Christians may disobey a civil law only in the case where they are compelled to disobey God's law. So let's back this up and look at the scripture. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. What does the scripture say? Peter said, after being straightly commanded in verse 28, that you should teach in this, in this name. Uh, uh, let's see here. They were told not to preach in the name Jesus. Uh, and behold, you have filled the Jerusalem with your doctrine, and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. It says in verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, What did he say? We ought to obey God rather than man. So the first inclination, as we find here in Romans chapter 13, that we are to obey the government. To an extent, if it contrary, it's contrary to the law of God, and there has been many evidences of this throughout time. Uh, you can read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can see where people were killed for their faith because they believed in Jesus Christ. You can go even to modern day in Romania. You can find places in China. You can find places in Muslim countries where men and women who were told do not worship Jesus Christ or you will be killed did it, and they were killed for their faith. We still have responsibility to do what God wants us to do and not what man wants us to do. It says here, government should not involve themselves with the establishment of support of particular religious groups, yet must offer security and protection to all as it would for its citizens in general. 
So he, what he's saying here is, it's not the government's job to set up a certain religion, but they should protect what? All religions, right? And that's why you'll see that they'll come in and they'll protect the, um, the Satanists. Uh, they'll protect certain individuals. The problem is that sometimes they become very selective in that protection. And that's a, that's a huge issue. All right, anybody have any questions on that at all? Anything they'd like to add to that? All right, moving on. Churches may cooperate with other churches. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Independence does not mean isolationism. Baptist churches may scripturally work together in certain areas with other Baptist churches of like faith and order, provided such cooperation is voluntary and does not violate the sovereignty, independence, and the autonomy of each church. So let's go to some of these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. And we find here in these, these verses... Says now concerning the collection of the, for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Can somebody explain to me what was being said here? Yes. They were collecting money to help the persecuted church in Jerusalem because they were not able to get money. Right. Do you see here that there was a selection of who was supposed to get the money? He says, in your liberality. The idea there is that it wasn't just one church that was giving. It was multiple churches that were getting. And Paul was coming along and collecting that money and bringing it back to Jerusalem to help others. Um, I do think that's a good example of missionary support. You can, under biblical understanding, a missionary comes through and he goes on deputation. It's a good uh, biblical understanding of what a missionary can do, that he can provide support, just like Paul did. Uh, they're providing support for one church or a group of individuals or saints in a different land. And I think that's important to understand. Here's another verse, Acts chapter, eight, Acts chapter 11, verses 26, 22 through 26. Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. We find here in verse 22, it says, The tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go forth as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, and the purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people were added unto the church, were added unto the Lord. Uh, and verse 25, And then departed Barnabas to Tarsus, for to seek Saul. When he had found them, he brought them unto Antioch, and came to pass. And a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Again, we see uh, the working of multiple churches in this verse. Uh, can you guys point out the different churches that are in here? Antioch. 
Where was Barnabas from? What church was Barnabas from? That's where he went. He was from the church in Jerusalem. Okay? So there was multiple workings between the churches. Again, the idea there is that there's no nothing wrong with 